Hi, listeners. I thought I would just recap some of the points made and a few different species that we've covered over the last few weeks, especially in light of the fact that we're going into spring and summer is fast approaching. Now, bear in mind that we have both nocturnal and diurnal species of snakes, and therefore there are certain times of the day during which one could reasonably expect to see a certain species. This is not to say that you'll never see a black mamba at night, but the chances are greatly reduced and every situation is naturally different. There are obviously also different areas in which specific snakes naturally occur, and therefore you could with a fair degree of certainty rule out a certain species within a particular area. I say with a fair degree of certainty because one must always account for the possibility of hitchhikers, such as was the case with a forest cobra that I captured in a manzimtoti. You must of course also realize that some snakes are terrestrial and prefer remaining closer to the ground, where others are arboreal and enjoy chilling in trees, up on curtain rails, and sometimes even, much to people's dismay, in their roofs. Again, this doesn't mean that you'll never encounter a spotted bush snake, which is an arboreal species on the ground. There are different reasons why arboreal snakes would be inclined to move at ground level. One of the most obvious reasons is to move from area to area. And then, of course, during the breeding season, they want to find a suitable location in which to lay their eggs. On that note, I would just like to dispel any fears or misconceptions people may have about snakes making nests in ceilings. This is very much not the case. Snake eggs have a leathery texture and require a certain degree of moisture in order to develop and remain well hydrated throughout the incubation period, which can take anything from 70 to 90 days. Snakes will therefore never, never, ever lay their eggs in a roof, but if they did so accidentally, the eggs would shrivel and die within a couple of days. So you may safely cast aside any fears that you may have had of snakes breeding in your roof. It is breeding season for most of the snakes currently, and the males are therefore going to be quite active. They follow the invisible scent trails left behind by females of breeding age. These scent trails can last for months. Even with a fair degree of rainfall, the scents will remain. The female cruises around in search of food as her metabolism increases with the warmer weather and everywhere she goes in search of food she'll leave behind a scent trail that the males will follow. It's not uncommon for several males within a close proximity to the female to actively pursue the same scent trail. Ultimately it leads them all to where she is. So whilst snakes are solitary in nature generally, multiple snake encounters can and do occur under these circumstances. Another thing to make note of is that should you ever encounter a baby snake on your premises, it doesn't automatically follow that the baby's mother is in close proximity. Unless, of course, it's a baby python, where there's a degree of parental care between the mother and her clutch. Most snakes will lay their eggs and they'll disperse away from them. So whilst you might find other baby snakes within the area, the chances of you locating the mother are slim to none. During the summer months, I get quite a few calls from people that have been gardening and they come upon a clutch of eggs whilst they're gardening. Most people are not happy to cover the eggs back up with sand and leave them and would prefer for them to be removed. So if this ever happens and you wish for them to be removed, please contact me on 084-205-4677 or Jason, Hayden, Byron or Neville on their respective numbers if they are closer to your area and we'll do everything that we can to assist you and the eggs for the best possible outcome. 
I think it's necessary for us to go over the areas that you should perhaps be mindful of or areas that you could reasonably expect to find snakes in. These areas are sheds, post boxes, holes in metal security gates, pool pump covers, underneath canvases or tarpaulins that have been left standing for some time, inside retaining walls, wendy houses, garages, wood piles and any other area in which they could potentially hide without detection. One of the most common species of snake that we have has got to be the spotted bush snake. They're currently in breeding season and they often venture into people's homes in search of geckos. I think if I'm honest about it, most homes around Durban will have at least one of these snakes on their property at some point. Rest assured, however, that they are non-venomous and they pose your family no threat. They're no danger to you, your children or your animals. Spotted bush snakes are most often confused with wormslung, but one of the easiest ways to tell the difference is purely by the size of the snake. The spotted bush snake averages about a meter in length, and a wormslung of the same size will not be green. They only develop that green color when they're about 1.2 meters in length, and at that length, the circumference of the snake would be substantially more than that of the thin little bush snake. The spots on the spotted bush snake also only appear to the halfway mark along the length of the body, whereas the black markings that can be seen on a mature wormslung are visible throughout the length of the snake. Wormslung are interesting in that their colouring as an adult very often but not always determines what sex they are. The males are green and the females are brown. All right, ladies and gents, thank you so much for joining us this week for On The Hunt. Should you have any snake-related issues, please be sure to give us a call and remember that we do offer a 24-hour service. Next up, we have some news from B at Snareaway. He'll be joining us more regularly with updates on the organization's progress. Hey, everyone. It's uh, B here from Snareaway uh, with your update on all things snares and wildlife in the Mams and Toti. You'll notice I'm not using my full name because we do try and take um, safety and security quite seriously at Snareaway. And we're also not really in it for the credit anyway. So we'll stick with B. And um, I hope you guys enjoy this week's update. So it's been some time since we last spoke. And um, I thought I'd update you with what Snareware has been up to since um, our last update. And yeah, we've been quite busy and actually quite successful at the same time. Although, yeah, it's it's a funny thing, remo removing snares, because we always get quite disappointed when we don't find them, which is kind of counterintuitive because <laughs> you know not finding snares is a good thing but um, anyway it's a funny thing and let's just say we've been quite successful um, in an area that we've been working over the last three weeks it's quite a big area um, with some beautiful beautiful coastal forest in it and uh, we've basically been working through all of those coastal forests over the last three weekends and yeah some days on the Saturdays some days Saturdays and Sundays we've been getting stuck in uh, we've had some f fantastic turnouts with um, over 30 people at pretty much every event. And it's been great to see the enthusiasm and everyone kind of giving up their spare time to come in and help us out. So over these last three weekends, we've removed a total of 92 snares from this one area. And it's been quite incredible to see that um, although it's a really, really big area, a lot of the snares were concentrated in very, very small places. So I'll give you an example. We went through one area of bush, which was only nine hectares big, which isn't very big at all. And uh, we removed 48 snares from that small area. 
and most of them were actually concentrated within a very, 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 very small area, um, sometimes not even 100 square meters. You, we would be finding probably close to 15 snares. And it just kind of makes you think, you know, what, what kind of chance does this wildlife have? You know, it, it just so happens to wander into this little area that's been so intensely ensnared, and it just has absolutely no chance. So what has been quite promising and um, very, very positive for us is despite the huge number of snares in this area, um, the wildlife is still thriving. And we found a lot of signs of quite a wide diversity of wildlife. Um, we even had a, a sighting of a grey darker and a blue darker. We also saw droppings of bushbuck, which is fantastic to see. We also saw signs of bush pig, water mongoose, large grey mongoose, and porcupine, which is fantastic. And, you know, it's, it just shows you the resilience of nature and wildlife. That despite all these odds, you know, from habitat loss to snaring and even dog poaching, that they're still able to survive. And um, it gives me a bit of hope. And that uh, especially with the, a bit of a helping hand from snare aware, that um, these wildlife populations are not just going to survive, but actually flourish. So a good example of this is the area of coastal forest that we removed all of those snares from. So we removed 48 snares from that 9 hectare patch of coastal forest on the first weekend in this valley. And what we decided to do is then to dedicate some time on the second weekend to re-sweep this area. And the primary reason behind that was to check if any new snares had been set during the week and to ensure that the area was swept clean. And what was quite promising and very, very interesting to find was there were a lot of new um, buck prints, bush pig prints, and even droppings in and around the, the areas that had a very, very high concentration of snares. So in this area, they had focused a lot of their snares down by the river um, that runs through this valley. Uh, just a little stream, really, not quite a river. And um, yeah, it was very, very exciting to see that in this area that we'd removed all the snares, there was lots of signs of wildlife. So it shows you, again, how resilient this wildlife is and, you know, just a little bit of help and uh, we can really get things to flourish. So this last weekend was our last event in this area. Um, we can safely say that majority of the snares have been removed. And what we do normally is we'll sweep an area clean and then give it two or three weeks before we go back and we concentrate on the hotspot areas that we identified from the initial sweep. And then we re-sweep that area and make sure that nothing has been reset there. An interesting thing that we've noted is the various different materials that are used for snares, especially in this valley. Um, we see very kind of amateur setups with little pieces of ropes and string and small cables to seemingly very professional snare setups with extremely thick steel rope um, that are very professionally set, hidden and secured onto trees or other structures. So it's quite evident that there's an abundant number of different people poaching and snaring in these valleys and um, using various other materials that um, we've never seen before. Um, so yeah, each week we're learning. Um, we're learning something new about tactics, about materials used, about places that they, they put them. Um, so one very interesting lesson we learned from 
this valley is that um, because the team had been previously, or not the team, a team had been previously working in this area to remove snares, the snarers had learned that um, tying them in a certain way um, would result in them being found. So what they started to do was hide them and actually instead of hanging them from a tree, they would then just dig them into the ground to make them a lot harder to spot. Uh, needless to say, this didn't help because we found a lot of those kind of setups and removed them. So the whole reason why we went into this valley was there's a very concerned member of the community that lives in that area who's actually been going out with his own laborers from his company and removing snares over the last five years. His estimates are over a thousand snares that he's removed personally over these last five years. So we thought we would give him some help and assistance through snare wear to rid this area. The main thing is boots on the ground and, and people. So the more people we have, the more area we can cover. And um, the, the contact in the area was extremely grateful to have all of this assistance. Um, it was just him and two other people that were trying to cover this massive, massive area. And um, yeah, with, with all the help from the community, we managed to clear the entire area in three weekends, which is um, fantastic productivity and extremely effective. So that's what it's all about. It's about people. And um, we need people to solve these poaching issues. Um, the more people we have, the more problems we can solve and the more snares we can remove. So if you are interested, get in touch with Snare Aware. Um, we have a public Facebook page and we have a private one that also has all of the event details. Obviously, we keep it private for safety and security reasons. So if you'd like to join, get in touch, um, like us, our public Snare Aware page. Just search for Snare Aware on Facebook. And if you're interested in accessing the private page for all the event details, then just drop an inbox and we will vet you and take you through the process to getting onto that group and into the circle of trust, so to speak, and get you out there and helping us remove these snares. So thanks for listening and um, hopefully you learned something today or got a little bit inspired or felt a bit more upbeat about wildlife, especially urban wildlife and um, the environment. And yeah, we're looking forward to making a real positive difference and value everyone's input. So get in touch and uh, let's solve some problems.